for those of you, the new visitors, those of you who haven't met me, my name is Andre Fisser. I am Afrikaans, as you can hear from the name. And so please, hey? <laughs> just, just because Vaughn put him out there, don't you think that Vaughn would be a good Father Christmas for your kids, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should paint him blue. All right. Um, okay, so, yeah, so when, yeah, let's get back and focus. Come on, Vaughn. Help me here. Help me here, Vaughn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I should preach long because we're waiting for Roland, so, um, yeah. Right. So, this morning, I would like to just dive into it. And my message, the title of my message, Justine, is Love Never Ends. So last week, Roland preached about faith. And if we all, a familiar scripture to us in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abides. These three things. But the greatest of these is love. And so I want to focus on, yes, sir, you're good, eh? Um... So I want to focus on, on love. Um, if, if we make a, just a, go through a quick glance of 1 Corinthians 12, it's all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous chapter on love. You get it quoted on, at weddings and love. When they write out cards and stuff, then we get preached there. And then um, chapter 13... Um, of 1 Corinthians is um, all about the, like the, how to orderly worship and the p- practicalities of tongues and prophecy. And so I, don't look at me like that, Connie. Jeez, am I saying something wrong? Um, so if you, if you find these kind of things, maybe you come from a more traditional background and you find like someone bringing a tongue or a prophetic word and you find it maybe strange, I would strongly recommend you to go read those three chapters. But this morning I want to start with 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 to 13. And it says this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But uh, for now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. The then referring to when the perfect comes. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Isn't that a beautiful passage? So one day, when the perfect comes, we will see as clear as possible, face to face. So whenever someone comes to the front, Bianca came to the front, and she brought a prophetic word, that's just a partial revelation. That's a part of it. And so there are some people... They call themselves, as a big word, cessationists. They believe that the perfect in verse 10 refers to when the word comes. 
when the scripture comes, when the canon of scripture comes. And so there are people that don't believe like stuff like prophecy, speaking in tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. They don't believe we should add to the Bible. Our stance is Josh Jen says that whenever someone brings a prophetic word, it should never go outside the boundaries of scripture. Scripture is the blueprint. And, and, and any, the word that Bianca brought isn't adding to scripture in any way. God is highlighting something for us for now that is not adding to Scripture. And so, yes, we do believe that the Word of God is His final revelation. But then, in terms of application, in terms of where we are now as a body of uh, members or as individuals, God does speak to us. And so, we, we do think that bringing tongues is a wonderful thing. Because it shares something that is on God's heart for us. Isn't it great? I mean, I've had uh, birthdays where people would come, we would eat cake and whatever, braai, and then they would pray for me. And they would share prophetic words. And that's not words that adds anything to Scripture. It's just words that for me, where I am in my life, it just convicts me or... God says, you're doing well in this area. You need to do better in this area. And it's wonderful and it's great. And so when we look at this scripture, Paul says, those things are like looking into a mirror. And we see like, a, like a, it's, it's dimly. But then one day when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns, we will see face to face. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for that moment. He starts that passage off in verse 8. He says, love never ends. So it doesn't mean that we shouldn't prophesy and that, that certain words of, uh, of knowledge, words of wisdom, tongues, that they are, that we shouldn't do those things. But what Paul is saying here this morning is that love will never end. Those things will pass away, but love will remain for always. Um. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5 says, uh, Paul says, I wish you all could speak in tongues. You don't have to quickly search that. I'm just glancing over. Um, Paul says, I wish for you all to speak in tongues and prophesy. So Paul's not saying you shouldn't prophesy. But he says in verse 1, he says, pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So this morning, I think I skipped a part here. Anyway, all right. So this morning, I would like to focus on love and three important things of love. The first one is, why is love so important? What is the big deal? The second thing that I want to look at is, what are, how does God see love versus the world's wacko perception of love? And I'd like to dig into that a little bit. And then also, the most important part, if you forget everything, you must not forget this last part here, and that is how we should love within the context of church. <clears throat> All right. Are you with me? Okay. Revelation 2, verse 1 to 7. You don't have to go there now. 
I just mentioned it. Revelation 2, whenever I sit in a message and a preacher goes to Revelation, I'm like, whoa, now we are going to the meaty stuff. And I just want to encourage you guys. Revelation, I heard David Pawson said, Revelation is not written to academics. It's written to normal people in normal churches. So read Revelation, the things you don't understand, whatever. But if you read Revelation from the beginning to end, you'll see something of God. You'll see His love. You'll see His wrath. But you'll see His love and His mercy and, and, and who, how great He is. And so John, the beloved apostle, the one that sat next to Jesus and kind of leaned against with his head onto Jesus' chest, um, he is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there for the sake of the gospel, and Jesus appears to him. Now, guys, I'm, this for me, I, I shared a little bit about this last week. I wish I can one day meet John. I think he's my favorite guy from the Bible. And here's why I say so. John was the only apostle to see Jesus in all his forms. Because with the crucifixion, all the other apostles were scattered. The disciples, they were... They went. But John stood there in that beautiful part where Jesus from the cross looks down at John and he says, Behold your mother. And he tells his mother, Behold your son. And from that moment, John's purpose was to look after Jesus' mother. If I just share those things. And so John saw Jesus as the normal guy walking around doing miracles, multiplying the food. Okay? Uh, then he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw a glimpse of or a, a version, very carefully say that word as an Afrikaans guy, uh, a version of, <laughs> I'm always afraid to say version, but I don't swap the two around. So he saw Jesus as like a little, always, he, he was, he was in a sense, being glorified for a moment uh, on the mountain or on the mount of transfiguration then he also saw jesus as like the beaten bruised person hanging on a cross paying paying our our, our price for us but then three days later he saw jesus in his resurrected body for 40 days and now he sees jesus how jesus is today in his glorified how he is in heaven and what does he see? He sees Jesus. He says, have you noticed if you read Revelation, and he, he constantly says, I saw an image like the Son of Man, like this, like this. So it's like he cannot explain what he's seeing. He's trying his best to explain, but even his words fall short of what this image really is. He sees Jesus with hair that is as white as snow. You see, we sang that song, the first song we sang. He saw, saw Jesus with blazing fire coming out of his eyes. His, um, his face, to quote that song, outshines the brightest sun. I mean, there's a scripture uh, in the Bible that says one day every knee will bow. I don't think knees will bow. I think knees will collapse. They will fall out of joint. When, they, when you see this magnificent picture and especially if you don't believe, if you haven't served Jesus, like you will fall down. You won't, you won't bow your knee. You'll like fall straight on your face, worshiping Jesus. Revelation 1 verse 17, when, Jesus saw, uh, when John saw this, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. That doesn't mean, he didn't go lie down. 
means he fell like as though dead because of the magnitude of how magnificent this Jesus is. But Jesus taps him on the shoulder and he says, come, I must show you a couple of things. And the first thing that he shows uh, John is the seven lampstands. And the seven lampstands refers to the seven churches that are located in ancient Asia, and that is the modern-day Turkey. Okay? And I find this fascinating. So, so I have a couple of opportunities through work. This year I'm visiting Greece, going to Corinth, Athens. Uh, next year I told the guy, we're going to Turkey because I want to see these sites. I want to see Ephesus, ancient Ephesus, and all the other places. Um, go read it. It's, it's fascinating. And so I want to focus this morning on Revelation 2, verse 1 to 3. And so the first letter that Jesus, because it's Jesus actually writing, it's, it's John writing, but it's Jesus telling him, it's dictating. Um, so this is Jesus' words. To the angel, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write to the, uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now Jesus is saying this, I know your work, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So if we read that, man, that's awesome to hear, huh? Jesus telling a church, well done. To magnify how big the well done is, we should look at the situation of, 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 of Ephesus back then. So the ancient town of Ephesus was located next to or at a seaport where the, all the goods that went to the rest of the region came through Ephesus. It was like distributed from there. And so Ephesus was culturally and financially a very, very rich place. It was also... a in terms of um, pagan worship and different kinds of religions, it was also a, a very rich place. They were like the trendsetters of the ancient world. And in this ancient Ephesus, the town, it's not located there anymore, but you can go and visit that site, there was a big temple. And that temple was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But that temple was dedicated to the goddess, the pagan goddess, uh, Artemis. Thank you. Okay. And so, and you can, you can go visit those temples as well. And you can this go do yourself a favor. Go in, on, on YouTube and go, there's, there's a guy that I saw that goes to all the places and explains. And it, it gives a lot more detail of what they did. And there's a pathway where they did certain stuff and sacrificed babies. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy the, 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 the culture that they lived in, um, as, uh, that the Christians lived in, the situation that they lived in. They also had a very cruel emperor called Dominion. And it is believed that he was responsible for boiling John, trying to boil John alive in oil. Imagine that. So now John miraculously escaped that, and obviously if you escape that, then yeah, yeah, this guy, I'm not messing with him around, so I'd rather exile him to the island of Patmos, because 
in this miraculous survival or how he survived this, a lot of people came to Christ. So Dominion is like, I'm not doing that again. Then there'll be more Christians. So I'll rather remove him uh, to the island of Patmos. In the, in the center of this town, the city, there was a marketplace called the Agora. And if you could trade, if you wanted to trade and partake in buying and selling in this marketplace, before you could enter, you had to take a little bit of incense that was in a bowl and as an act of worship, placed it at the emperor's feet. And so obviously Christians wouldn't do that because the Bible says you shall have no other gods before me. And so Christians couldn't partake. They couldn't buy and sell. All right? And so it's actually funny because in Revelation, one of the end-time prophecies is that if you don't have the mark of the beast, then you won't be able to buy and sell. But it's actually something that happened back then as well. So if you, they, no, no, they didn't have a physical chip, but if they didn't do that, they couldn't buy and sell and, and become wealthy. And so it is into this context that Jesus says, well done, you are doing great. Well done for enduring. Well done that you cannot bear with evil. Well done that you test all the teachers to see whether they are false or not. Well done for that. So imagine we can get that well done. I mean, we, Donnie, uh, Luke, we as elders, we would be like, yeah, the church is doing well. If Jesus comes to us and says, well done for holding the line on this. Well done for not allowing that. Well done for not um, allowing evil. But then Jesus says this in verse 4, but I have this against you. Do you know the rule of but? You guys know the rule of but? But says, if you use but in a sentence, it means you're canceling whatever you said before. So parents, if your teenager says, I will clean my room now, but I have to. They don't mean the first part. Okay, get what I'm saying. So Jesus means that. Jesus says, well done for doing this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Imagine a church doing so well on every area, but in terms of love, they have abandoned the love they had at first. See, to Jesus, love is much more important than anything else. Love is more important than a spirit-filled worship session. Love is more important than a musician being able to play his instrument perfectly. Love is more important than beautiful flagging or eloquent preach or a welcoming team that is on point. Am I saying that it doesn't matter, that you should be careless about how you play your instrument? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you shouldn't play your instrument because you want to shine. You should play your instrument because you love God and you want to do your best for God. All right? Love is the ultimate thing. John 13, 35 says, By this they will know. By this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is the most important thing. Interesting fact, because I study theology and I want to sound clever. If you look at the book of Revelation... The book of Revelation is written in A.D. 95. The letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians was written in A.D. 64. So there was about a 30-year gap between these two letters that the church received. And when Jesus said, you have lost the love you had at first, what was that love? And we can go back 30 years and read the letter that Paul wrote to them. 
And if you look at the letter, you can split that letter in half. It consists out of six chapters. Chapter 1 to 3 speaks all about how we should love Jesus and our vertical relationship. And chapter 4, 5, and 6 speaks about our horizontal relation, uh, love for one another. So go, go read it in that, with that context. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. They asked Jesus, Teacher, which of these commands in the law, or which is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But then Jesus goes on and he says, Second is like it. So in other words, where he says, Love God, he places the second one next to it. See, it's, it's like it. It's as important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Some people would say, or some translations would say, um, if we just quickly go back to um, that Revelation 2, it says you have lost your first love. Some um, translations would say you have lost the love you had at first. Oh, no, no, sorry. You would love your, you would, you, you have lost your first love. And then some people may read it like our love for God. But I think if you read the second translation, the one that I'm reading, the ESV one, you, had, yes, you have lost the love you had at first. That includes our horizontal love for people as well. Guys, there's no wonder that Satan does his utmost best to distort our view of what love is. So let's stand still for a little bit. See, if you consider the world, and if you look at the world, and what love is in the world's eyes, they see love as acceptance. We live in a postmodern world. Now, postmodern means truth is redundant. It means what is true for me is true for me, and you can't tell me what to do, and what is true for you, I can't, and I just have to accept that. And that is not the truth. See, the problem with postmodernism is we as human beings are elevating ourselves to the highest authority where we are not the highest authority that is exactly the same thing that satan did just before he fell down from heaven when jesus cast him out of heaven that is the same thing that adam and eve did when they take a bite of the fruit where they decided surely eating of this fruit can't be that bad after jesus or after god commanded them not to eat of that fruit we as Christians believe that our only highest authority is God. And because we cannot see God physically and God on his own terms reveals himself to us, we have his word. And so therefore, his word is the highest authority. His word is the truth. And when the Bible says God has created male and female in the image of God, that is the truth. And not, not all other 620 whatever genders that they keep on adding, adding one every day. That is not the truth. The truth is God created man and female in his own image. Love is not acceptance. Okay? Bible says, yes, love is patient, love is kind. We should go around with people when we speak the truth with people, we should do it patiently, with kindness, with humility. 
But love is not accepting your mistakes, your sins. Love is telling someone, warning someone, hey, that thing that you're about to drink is actually poison and it's not helpful. Guys, if, if I walk into the kitchen and one of my daughters has, what's it, ant poison, about to drink it, what is love? Accepting the fact that she does it? Or like, no, that is love. Love is stepping in when you see a brother are about to get hurt. Love is warning a person, hey, there's a door in front of you. You don't see the door now, but we see it. Believe us, you are heading in the wrong direction. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. So with that in mind, love is, love is, is believing in the truth. Love is holding people to truth. But we should also do it in a certain way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. <clears throat> it does not insist on its own way. I think this is one that we, if you have small kids, then you struggle with this one. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing but it rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope, hopes all things. Love endures all things. So if a brother of mine is doing something, let's, let's use an example. Matthew in front. He is one of my youthies, so I can tell him what to do. <laughs> if, I, if I see him going into a relationship, let's use it as an example. If I see him going into a relationship with a person, <clears throat> and what I read in the Bible, and I believe it is not helpful for him, what is love? Love is, hey, Matthew, can we go for coffee? I'll buy the coffee. Can we chat? I don't think you're making good decisions right now. Here's the reason why. Love is patient. Love is kind. So I'm not forcing it on him. I'm not drawing a line in the sand and say, hey, if you do this, then we will excommunicate you. I'm not doing that. But love is warning. Love is not accepting. Love is not allowing my loved ones to get hurt. You get what I'm saying? I want to land this morning, and I know how that sounds because this last part is also, it's not a landing rack in two or three sentences, but I want to land this morning on the topic of what does love look like in church, in the context of church? And for me, this is a very important thing, and this is very dear to my heart because I see so many people, family members, that think that they are good with God, but they are sitting, the, they're missing the plot. Is that the correct English? See, if we look into the, into the perspective, we take a, a helicopter view of the history of the world, Church is very, very important. Why do I say so? Because church is the vehicle that God uses now, in this time, to carry out His redemptive plan. See, ever since Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit and sin entered into the world, from that moment, God, in His magnificent grace, from that moment, He made plans to redeem us. 
God didn't say, oh, yes, so. Now the people I created are going against me, so I'm just going to burn this thing in fire and create a new earth. No, from that moment, God came and He saved us. Go, go, go sit and go read the Bible from beginning to end, and you'll see that the, the whole plan of the Bible is, you've messed up, I'll fix it. And so the first thing that Jesus did, oh, sorry, I referred to Jesus. The first thing that God did was to redeem the people through the patriarchs, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then he redeemed people through the nation of Israel by first leaders, Moses and Joshua, and then judges. And there's a lot of judges. We know Samson, we know Gideon, where they went and they, and they saved and they conquered, fought a battle, conquered, and, and, the, and the Israelites were free again. And then later kings and prophets, King David, King Solomon. And then God, show, God sent himself. But he sent his son, Jesus, but they are, are one divine being, three persons, but they're one. And so God sent himself, and Jesus came to redeem us. And he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was there to die once and for all so that we can be reconciled to God. And now God is using the church. Guys, whether we like it or not, God is using the church. And the problem with that is church is messy. Church is not a building. Church is people, and people are broken, and people will hurt you. Hear this and get over it. almost want to say this. There's, there's, a, there's a larger thing at stake here. It's not about your feelings. It's not about, and I'll, and I'll explain this a little bit more, but there's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. God uses the church. So how does God want this church to love? Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That last part struck me between the eyes a couple of weeks ago. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's look at humility first. What does humility mean? Remember, we're looking at how does love play out in the context of church. Humility means putting others in front of myself or before myself. It means, like Jesus did, washing the disciples' feet. We need to serve one another. It means that we serve even if our com is not on duty that Sunday. We come in, we say, how can I help? How can I serve you? Humility is being happy to teach at kids' ministry. Although you feel that you are called to have the mic here in front of the church, it is humility is teaching at kids' ministry for as long as you have to until God opens this, this door for you. I, 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 I forgot this, but the late Wilma Ray used to say um, that humility is actually rubbing, you guys must help me, rubbing something but not expecting the shine. What did he used to say? It means you're rubbing. Yeah, so you do the polish but other, persons get, other people get the shine. 
That is exactly what it is. Because it's not about you. It's about this kingdom. It's about God. It's about me playing the part. And if I preach the best possible, but they go to Donnie and they say, Yo, Donnie, your leading this morning was great. That's fine. That's fine with me. Because it's not about me. The famous, famous quote by C.S. Lewis that says, um, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It means that the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, gets taken out of the equation. It's not about me. That is what humility is. Gentleness means that <clears throat> we are not harsh with one another. We have respect. We're not forcing anyone to do something. Like I explained now with the situation with Matthew, is I'm gentle. I go in gentle. If you, if you really understand the heart of, of God, God makes commands, but He is actually very gentle. Look back in your life. There's, there's certain things that God allowed you to, to do or He looked over until that one day where you realize, oh, I've been doing this for seven years. How come God only speaks about it now? No, God has spoken, but He's been gentle. But now He's drawing a line. He says, now my gentleness is coming to an end. Now you should act. But God is actually very gentle. And we need to be as gentle as, as God is. Patiently bearing with one another. Like I said, <laughs> church is made up of people. I can remember last year, 412, Andrew had a message on. He says, God sends people into your life to form you. Think about your spouse. That, yeah, that's why you're in my life, Vaughn. <laughs> think about your spouse your spouse brings out the worst in you because it's in you and God is using your spouse to bring it out so that you can deal with it and that you become more and more and more perfect like Jesus is perfect see we sometimes and this was a revelation to me because let, let's be honest I've been in certain ministries that I'm like, I can't do this because of that person. Have you been there? Have you ever, maybe in your job someplace? What if God gave you that boss to rub you up the wrong way so that whatever is in you can resurface and that you can deal with those things? Last week, where's Peter? Where's Peter? There's Peter. Last week, Peter did an unforgivable sin. No, I'm joking, Peter. <laughs> Peter came and he says, Andre, under this jacket. And then he zipped it open and he showed the all blacks. <laughs> huh? Now, Peter, that didn't upset me. But let's use that as an example. What if I got so upset and so offended in that moment that, yeah, no, I, I, I was really, 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 guys. I'm, 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 yeah. What if? The only thing that that whole situation would show is that there's something in me that I need to deal with. Okay? So, church is made up of people. And we will get offended. We will rub each other. We will irritate each other. But maybe have this perspective that God has put us together. Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. People that we are given. The solution is not this church doesn't, doesn't work for me, so I'm going to that church. There's also going to be people that will rub you up the wrong way. 
Okay? This, the, the problem is not, maybe, and I'm saying this one last time, maybe God has placed you in this body with all these people that irritate you to do something in your life. But I'm, but I'm sure you're not in a position where everyone just irritates you all the time. Maybe, but there will be times where people offend you, where people hurt you. And, and, I, and I urge you, love is patiently bear with one another. Patiently bear with one another. And then the last, the last thing in verse 3, it says, eager to maintain the unity. Now that word unity refers to like a body with ligaments. It refers to the ligaments, like the kneecap being held in place by a ligament to the other bones. And so we are called to be close together, to be a unity, like a, like what do you call it, a, a cart of oxen that pulls in one direction. That thing doesn't work out if one decides I'm going that way. Um, Jesus, just before he was arrested, he prayed in John 17. I haven't given this to you. Um, John 17 verse 21, he says, Lord, let them be one as we are one. Do you understand how big that is? There's no division between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's absolutely no division. And so God's heart for us is to be one like they are one. We need to be one in doctrine, one in purpose. We need to be one in relationship. And it says, let there be peace. Sometimes people will say something. Sometimes we'll be offended. Sometimes leadership will hurt us. Leadership will offend us. But we need to be one. So I want to urge you guys, sort out your offenses. And it is as easy as, hey, that thing that you take me out on just now, I forgive you for that. Or... Set yourself up there, Ru. <laughs> so sort, let's sort out our offenses quickly. Deal with this stuff. Guys, you, you will hear this a million times. Gossip divides churches. Don't gossip. Sort it out. I remember there were, there were times where and that person is not here, where, and I was very new in this church, where I came in, and they, they, that person's com was serving, and, and I said, no, don't pack the chairs like this, pack it that way, and that guy lashed out at me. Before the service started, we sorted it out. Claw, obey. We forgive and forget. All right? Don't gossip. Now, I can't go to Luke, hey, Luke, that guy treated me like this. Can you believe it? We should do something about it. Let's go to Roland. No. We sort it out. Avoid gossip at all cost. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is Ephesians 5.21. Also means we carry one another's burdens. We, we intervene. If someone loses his job, come stay with me. I'll, I'll put food on your table. If someone's sick, we provide them a meal. People need to move then we help move. Vince has got a bucky. <laughs> All right. We serve one another with glad hearts. I believe this morning in closing, now I'm really closing, guys. I believe that none of us sitting here is perfect like Jesus is. And I'm including myself. We are not perfect. And there's something in something that I said this morning that struck a chord, struck a nerve, and like, oh, yes, oh, man, I don't love like that. I, I can promise you. And so actually everyone 
should stand when I call for a response. But I don't want you to stand just for, because I said you should stand. So what I want to do is I want to pray a prayer over us that's found in Ephesians 4 verse 15 to 16. You can put it up so long. You can put it up so long. I want to I pray that as a prayer over us as a body. But I want you guys to respond in receiving it. So can I ask you, if you want, I'm not forcing you. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. Eh? So if you want to respond this morning, I'm asking you to stand, open your arms, and open your heart as I pray this message, or as I pray this prayer over us. So just, guys, as you, as you stand there, just, just open your arms, but more importantly, just open your heart. And if you feel you can pray this with me in, in, your, in your mind or in your heart, you don't have to, like, off, speak after me, but just pray this prayer with me. I'm first going to read Ephesians 15 to 16. It says, rather speaking the, lo- the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus, this morning... I want to pray, Father God, that you would help us to grow up in every way into the example of Jesus. The perfect example that Jesus set for us on this earth. I pray that you would help us as a body of believers to grow up into that example. Lord Jesus, come and unite us together, Lord. Make us one in doctrine One in purpose, Lord God. Help us to sort out little foxes, Lord Jesus, like like gossip and like offenses, Father God. Oh Lord, I've been offended, but when I look back on those offenses, I'm like actually ashamed. Like, Andre, how can you allow that thing to cause division? Father, help us to be people that are quick to deal with offenses, Father God. We acknowledge this morning that we, a church is made up of people and that people will hurt us. And, and so if you haven't been hurt before, brace yourselves because people will hurt you. Because they're people. They're broken. We're all just trying to be perfect and, and, and striving towards being holy and perfect like, like Christ is. So Father, I pray that you will unite us. Lord God, I pray that you will teach us your ways and that you will come and equip us. Jesus, help us so that we can work properly together, every part of this body, Father God, whether we're a hand or a pinky. Lord, I pray that we will all work together properly. Lord Jesus, the most important is that you would breathe your life into us as a congregation, Father God. Lord, we can have everything set up. Perfect sound, perfect worship, perfect preaching, kids ministry running flawlessly. Lord, if your breath is not here, then we are dead. Father, we beg you, breathe your life into us. Come build us up in love, Lord Jesus.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.